Okay. Wow. Great. It works. Morning all. Just to clarify, with the cutoff date for the Brighton and the Mobilise conference, we didn't mean that you can't become after that date. What we meant was is that if you want the cheapest deal, then you need to book off book up before that date. The price goes up in it jumps. So um, March before March the 10th, if you want the cheapest deal. And there's a good deal. The prices have stayed the same as last year. Um, recession buster. So, um, you know, make the most of it. Um, leave it to the last minute and you'll end up paying more. Okay. Oh, sorry. Those of you that are here for the first time, my name's Steph. I leave the church here. So, good morning. Hello. Um, <laughs> you probably haven't seen me yet. Today's message is called The Freedom That Jesus Claims to Bring. And some messages you kind of start on the beach and you, 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 you paddle out and then you get deeper and deeper. This one, it's like we're going to get in a boat, go straight out to the depths and kind of plunge in. Okay, so we're talking, um, we're talking masses of scripture today. We're talking um, really trying to get to grips and grapple with some hard, not hard concepts necessarily, but um, concepts that we want to deal with thoroughly theologically. So if you're not into that sort of stuff, sorry. <laughs> but it's really important that you deal with these things rather than saying, oh, isn't it great following Jesus because he's really nice and he makes life good. Now, there's some truth in that, but you really need to come to grips in a deeper way with what this message is about if you want to live in the good of it. So um, the freedom that Jesus claims to bring. Slide number one. Great, he's done it. Could you do the change the colour for all of the slides? Is that okay, Pete? Yeah, okay. All right, no problem. I did, I did black writing with the type, with this wonderful design, which I love, but it kind of, the black kind of sinks into it. So I'm not sure how informative our slides are going to be today. Would it help if I turn the light out? Would that help? We turn some of these strips off? Brilliant, you guys are great. If you're on the internet listening to this, you're thinking, what are they doing? I, I downloaded a sermon and it just sounds like a conversation. Um, we'll, we'll, it will happen in a minute. Okay, Jesus said, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. A massive claim. A massive claim. Jesus is referring to himself in this passage. If I set you free, then you'll be really free. Not This won't be cosmetic. It won't just be something that you kind of pretend, but it's not really. The idea here is that Jesus is expectation when he sets you free is for you to experience freedom indeed. For you to experience freedom in all kinds of ways. Now, the, the, the most logical question at this point you should ask is this. Is if Jesus is saying this, then surely he's suggesting that we're not free. Surely he's suggesting there's captivity or slavery of some sort in our lives. To what are we slaves? Three things, biblically. There are three main things that people outside of Christ, the Bible teaches, are slaves to. First one is this. Next slide. I oh, know you are. That's all right. Before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Okay, thanks, Pete. So the law. The Bible teaches that the law imprisons us. Now, we're not talking about the, the civil law here necessarily, um, although it's a good illustration. If you break the civil law, you get imprisoned. But Paul's talking about God's moral law here. 
which we will look at in a minute, expressed perfectly in the Ten Commandments. The Bible says that the law in some way brings us into prison. We'll have a look at what that means and how that works as we go through today. Second thing, next slide, is sin. Listen to Jesus here. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Thanks, Pete. Everyone who commits sin is a slave. So sin, the law and sin. Now when Jesus says commits there, he's not talking about once. The, the Greek tense means ongoing. If you, as a way of life, sin, you're just showing that you're a slave to it. If you can't stop eating food all the time, you're a slave to your stomach, you're a slave to gluttony. If you can't stop looking at pornography, you're a slave to lust. If you can't stop losing your temper, you're a slave. You're a slave to it. And people often use it, they say, well, no, I'm free, I'll lose my temper if I want to, it's my freedom to do that. But that's just clever words to disguise the fact you're enslaved to it. You can't stop. So the law, number one, sin, number two. And finally, next slide, please, Pete, death. One after that, mate. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, that's Jesus himself likewise, partook of the same things, flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Slavery, there's the word again. So we've had imprisoned and slavery. We're we, are, we are imprisoned to the law, we are imprisoned to sin, and we're imprisoned to death. I want to look at these things today and look at how Jesus sets us free from all those things. Are you up for this? Yeah. Are you up for thinking? Yeah? yeah? Elisa's up for thinking. <laughs> Great. Fantastic. Okay. It's going to take some. Okay. <laughs> because the Bible puts these three things, the law, sin, and death, together. And I want to explain to you how they work today with an illustration, which is the next slide. I hope you appreciate this next slide. Right. We have an invasion of killer bees over the skyline of London here. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment, look at this verse, I'll read it to you first and I'll describe how this works. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I want you to imagine that death is a killer bee. Appropriate. You hear about these killer bees that, you know, in certain continents of the world and they're coming over to the UK and life's going to be terrible because we're all going to get stung to death. You read these alarmist columns every now and then in the newspaper. Imagine for a moment that death is a killer bee. Now, what's the big deal with the killer bee? What's the big deal? They kill? How do they kill? The sting. So the sting is the big deal. Take the sting out and the killer bee comes into your house. It's no more than a blue bottle. It's a nuisance. You open the window out, you go. If it comes in with its sting, you run out. The sting is the big deal. The sting of death is sin. That comes next. The law comes next. The sting of death is sin. What does this mean? Here's what it means. The Bible teaches that death came into the world through sin. There was no death before sin. God said to Adam and Eve, eat from that tree, do the one thing I've asked you not to do, and in that day you'll surely die. Death will come in. So they sinned and death came in. Now the Bible teaches that when someone dies, the death as a spiritual power sinks its sting into that person, holds on to them, if you like, through the fact that they've sinned. 
That's why when we die, we die. That's why when we die, we don't just raise from the dead straight away. Because the sting of death is sin. We've all sinned. We've all done wrong. And so when we die, you can't escape death. It's in you. Okay? So the sting of death is sin. But then what does it mean when he says that but the power of sin is the law? Here's what it means. This sting, if it wasn't for the law, it would be like a... Doing... There will be no power in it. It'll be like a floppy kind of rubbery thing. You think there's nothing to it? What's the big deal? There's no scare. What? The power of the power of sin. What makes this thing get right in you is the law. In what sense? Here's in what sense. Ultimately, sin is law-breaking. That's the problem with it. We've got these Ten Commandments. Let me read them to you. Have only God, the Creator, as your God. Do not make any images to represent Him. Don't take His name in vain. Rest a day a week. Honour your parents. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. And don't covet. God here highlights in a universal way what sin is. It's not just stuff that makes you feel bad. Because some people do terrible things and guess what? They don't feel bad. That's reality. We have an objective standard here. This is sin. You break that, you're a lawbreaker. You break that, you're a sinner. And so what we find is, is that law fortifies the sting, gives it a trigger, gives it a punch, so that when it goes in, bang, you're done for. Because there's no argument. You can't can say, yeah, I know I did that wrong, but you don't understand. And God says, I do understand. I made you in my image, and I made you to represent and reflect me and glorify me, and I've told you this is what I'm like. You see, the moral law is really just God saying, this is my nature, this is what I'm like. I don't steal. I don't lie. I'm faithful. I've told you, I've told you how, how, what I've made you in my image to live like this, and you've broken it again and again and again, and so we're silenced. And so the sting that is sin remains in us. We're held captive by death. This is why Jesus rose from the dead after three days. It wasn't just, oh, because that's the kind of thing he would do. No, he had no sin of his own. And so when Jesus died, death, the Bible says, could not hold him. That's what we are told. So we have a predicament. We're all under slavery to the law. We're all under slavery to sin. We're all under slavery to death. And Jesus claims to bring freedom each one of those things. I'm going to show you how. Hallelujah. It's very exciting. Okay, next slide. We see here that the wages of sin is death. You sin, you get paid for it. You die. Next slide. We see here that this is Peter preaching about Jesus. God raised Jesus up, loosing him from the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Why? Because he was sinless. Now we're going to look at, next slide. Now we're going to look at understanding how we can be set free from the law. Listen to how Jesus was born. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Jesus was under the law. He didn't need to be under the law. But Jesus deliberately put himself under the law to identify himself with us because Jesus came to fulfill the law. Jesus came and he had to fulfill the law. Why? Here's why. Because God gave the law and said, right, I want, you to, I want you to live it, knowing that we wouldn't, but just so we understand what is required of us, we're all held captive. Oh my goodness, I can't do it. God says, I'm going to send one, a true man, who will live a life that utterly fulfills the law. So Jesus was born under it. He was circumcised on the eighth day. All of the stuff is Mary and Joseph brought two turtle doves to, um, as an offering, um, which was all part, all part of the law. He totally lived the law in, in every perfect way, not just externally, but in his heart. He was underneath it. 
Next verse. And then Jesus said this, Do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. How did Jesus fulfill the law? In two ways. Number one, Jesus lived the perfect life. Everything about him, the Bible says, was perfect. He was totally devoted to the will of the Father. And Jesus, I tell you, he didn't just, he didn't just kind of, you know sometimes when you have to live up to a standard, and you just bring it down a little bit to make it easier. Have you ever done that? You may just dull it down a bit. Jesus took it up. Jesus said, you heard it was said, do not commit adultery. I tell you, even looking lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. Man alive. It's like taking a bar there and putting it there. It's not just about sleeping with someone else's wife or husband. It's about looking at someone who belongs to someone else, undressing them in your mind, saying, I would love to go to bed with them. And then maybe a bit of flirtation, the occasional look to try and get their attention, put yourself in their way so they'll spot you. You're committing adultery in your heart. Jesus said, you've heard it said, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. I tell you, love your enemies. Man, what is going on, you know? Do not resist him who's evil. He's going, and then, not only that, he lived it. He lived every bit of it. Every accusation that people tried to bring against him, the witnesses couldn't correlate. No, Jesus said, who of you will accuse me of sin? No one did. Perfect, perfect life. I mean, if you're used to this stuff, please don't be familiar with it, whatever you do. He was a man. He suffered temptation in every way as you and I do. I wonder how many of us have gone this morning sin-free. I wonder. I wonder how many of us have done this morning sin-free. I wonder if any of you have felt sorry for yourself this morning. I wonder if any of you have thought, whilst driving or walking here and something happened and started moaning and whinging. I wonder how many of you have seen someone on the way and thought, and haven't taken the second you know, thought of it and just started to examine you know, what could go on. I wonder how many of you have done that. I wonder how many of you, when worship starts, just thought to yourself, I can't be bothered with this. We're lawbreakers. We're lawbreakers. Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. So he fulfilled it positively, and then, horror of horrors, he fulfilled it negatively. In what sense? Well, the law says this. If you don't fulfill it, the result is death. So then Jesus went to death as if he had been the worst lawbreaker of all on our behalf. And so the law was completely fulfilled in the blessing of Jesus' life, utterly righteous, and in his death, cursing him as if he was the worst sinner of all. In fact, the Bible says he became sin on the cross. Horrendous. Horrendous. This is Jesus fulfilling the law. So the law is totally satisfied. This, this law which gives this sting of sin its power to get into you, the law says, I've, we've found one. We've found one who's done it. And the law is totally fulfilled and satisfied in him. Just as one man, Adam, messed it up for everyone and God brought condemnation into the world to all as a result of that, this one man, Jesus, has fulfilled the law and the law is satisfied now in him. He's fulfilled it. Next slide. So why the law? What, how does the law help us? Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. It's as we understand the Ten Commandments, we realise, oh, I'm a sinner. You might be here today, you think I'm a nice person. I'm not a bad person, you know. You might think, I'm not like... You know the, you know the Reese Jones, wasn't it, who, who was um, killed, the 11-year-old in Liverpool, and his, and his killer's mum actually lied and tried to cover the tracks for her son to pervert the course of justice, really, but covering the, covering the tracks of someone who shot dead an 11-year-old. You could think, I'm not like her. I'm not like her. I wouldn't do that. Or you could think about Rihanna, the superstar, and now you see her swollen face in the newspapers. What's happened? Her boyfriend's been beaten up. You might think, I'm not like that. I'm not like him. I'm a decent person. 
We all do that. We compare people, ourselves to people who are worse than us, and then we feel, oh, I'm all right. Then you, come to, then you come face to face with the Ten Commandments. And you go, oh. Because you suddenly realize, actually, Rihanna's boyfriend isn't the standard. What's the standard? Uh, just really love God with all that you are. Don't cover it. What does cover it mean? Cover it means someone else gets a new car or more money than you or this or that, and you start going. I, I started a job once, and um, whether you actually growl or not is up to you. But uh, <laughs> I, I started a job once as a labourer, and they did the worst thing in the world to me. They said, "How much should we pay you?" I had no idea. I just had no idea. I thought I really, I really need a job, so I went in at a silly level. You ever done that? You go this much, and they go okay, and they just think, "Why do they look so happy about that?" And uh, started work. And then about three weeks in, you, you get to know the other labourers pretty well and the subject of how much you're getting paid comes up. It turns out they're getting like almost twice as much as me. Twice. Now we're both, you know, I'm thinking, we're both doing the same job. And I started getting all funny about it. Who decided my wages? Me. It was my fault. But when I found out, oh, they're getting more. See, I was happy with that. Then I found out they're getting more. What happened in my heart? That's what happened. I started, I started, I'll carry less bricks. So then, you know, you start acting, why? I'm starting to cover. I want what they've got because they've got more than me. Oh, coveting. So we are, our society is built on coveting. You need this now. You need this now. You need a wider TV. Yes, we know your current TV fills your room, but you need to extend your room to get a wider one in. Because if you don't get it, you're not going to get the surround effect. If you don't get the surround effect, boy, you haven't lived. And it's built on cover. It's built on you need more. You need more. You need more. And so, and so you just cover it without realising it's, it's how you live. You, you cover clothes, new fashions. Ah, oh, my jeans are they're too baggy now. Oh, now they're too tight because the fashion's changing. I've got to go, go, go. Yeah? And if you haven't got the, quite the right thing, you get all worked up. You're coveting. You're coveting. You're losing your peace about the fact that you haven't got something. Man, if you're a Christian, you've got Jesus. How can you lose your peace about a pair of jeans? But you're in a society that's built on that. You see, and so you realise, through the law, now you was all right. You was all right as you were. <laughs> through the law, come, you realise, man, I am a sinner. It's not about whether I'm nicer than Rihanna's boyfriend. It's about the fact that I've fallen way short of what God made me for. I'm corrupted. This is what the law does. It highlights our need. And it makes us realise, I need someone to do this for me. I need someone to come as a substitute. I need someone who's going to rescue me out of this prison because I'm condemned by the fact that I'm a lawbreaker. Next slide. He, God, is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom. You need wisdom? Right. God has made Jesus your wisdom. And listen to this one, your righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness means your right standing before God. It means the fact that you can stand before God and not be condemned. The Bible says that God has made Jesus your righteousness. It's a substitute. Your sanctification, that is your holiness, that's Jesus. Your redemption, that is your being brought back to God, it's Jesus. What's the result? The result is this, as it's written that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. A Christian should never make his boast on the fact that they are faithful or they are, I don't know, punctual or they are generous. They boast in one thing, Jesus. Because the, the Christians should be the least self-righteous people in the whole planet.
planet because they are aware that they can stand before God. Why? Because of Jesus. One has fulfilled the law on their behalf and they've hidden in him and as a result they are right before God. That is a beautiful, beautiful thing that we must never, ever get used to. Listen to the way Paul describes it. Next slide. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. It's a gift. Your gift if you're a Christian, you've been gifted righteousness. God says, I'm going to make you right with me simply by being associated with my son who is perfect. This is the Christian gospel. This is the good news. And you might think, this is, this is actually quite basic. But you know what? Sometimes in conversation, in lifestyle, you talk to believers and you realise you haven't got this. You're still trying to get right with God by your own efforts. You're still striving to just try and make yourself right. With God. You're living constantly under a cloud of guilt, under a sense of disqualification. And you think, you've missed it. This is about substitution. Him in your place. Not just on the cross, but in glory now, you in him, you get all these wonderful gifts and blessings. Why? Because you're in Christ. Hallelujah. What a wonder. But many, many people, have, they still build on this self-confidence thing. This, it's, oh, I'll get it, I'll make it. And it's a false foundation. It will not stand you in a good stead before the throne of God. You'll be in big trouble if you rely on your own righteousness before God's throne. Next slide. Listen to this, it's beautiful. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The law goes silent when it sees a believer in Christ. Why? Because Christ has fulfilled the law. Hallelujah. The law goes silent. The law's like, fine. You say, why? Because you're in Christ. He fulfilled the law. So you get set free from the law by being in Christ. But you've got to stand firm in that. Next slide. Listen to what Paul says. For freedom, Christ has set us free. That's from the law. That's the context of Galatians. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't come under legalistic thinking. Don't come under this thinking of, I've got to try and make myself right before God. Don't come under that. No, you've been set free for freedom. You've been set free to live a lifestyle that is free from the law. Walk in grace. Walk in grace. Walk in, God's, walk in the fact that God has gifted you his righteousness. Don't ever turn your back on that. Don't ever turn your back on that. Now this isn't saying, because some people get worried, they think, this is crazy the way you're talking. You're saying Christians don't give a hoot how they live. Jesus has done it all for them. They can just do whatever they like. In one sense, yes. Yes. In one sense, I could, I could punch you in the face and still go to heaven. I don't plan on doing that, but I could. Crude as it sounds, I could. It would, not change my, it would not change my status before God in any way. I could just pick this up and throw it out there and just say, to heck with you lot, I'm going down the pub. And I'll be sit, I'll be, you lot would be sitting there mystified and I'll be down the pub with my beer as a child of God. I would. My standing would be no different at all, no different. I'll be just as justified. Why? Because Christ is my righteousness. Now, would God want to have a few words of me? Yeah. Of course he would. As any father would want to discipline a wayward son, he'd want his dad a minute to talk about this. You can't be doing this every week. (laughs) (laughs) But he would be talking to me as his son. I wouldn't suddenly become alienated from him, a stranger again, no longer. No. 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 Just be a child that's being silly. And needs some straightening out. 
So in one sense, yeah, I can do whatever I like. <coughs> Changes nothing. But when you come to know God like this, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and you get a brand new heart, and here's the result. Next slide. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You see, you try and live by the law, I must improve, I must. You end up, you just get worse. It just gets worse, and you end up sinning more. Walk by the Spirit. The Spirit is received on the grounds of grace. So walk in step, have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, and guess what? You just will not get into that lifestyle of constantly gratifying your sinful desires. It just won't happen. You will walk free from it. This is how Jesus described it. Next slide. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Walking in fellowship with the Spirit is the same as walking in fellowship with Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. Through just your union with him, his life comes through. His desires grow. As you depend on him and lean on him, you will not live a life that is enslaved to sin. Jesus fulfills the law on our behalf, and we're completely free from it as regards our righteousness. Number one thing. Hallelujah. Number two, how does Jesus set us free from the power of sin? Do you want to find out about this? This is important because many believers I talk to struggle like mad with feeling like they're slaves to sin still. You talk to them, I say, I can't shake this habit. I just can't shake it off. I've tried. And you see in their eyes, they long to be free. You think, what is it? What aren't they seeing? And they just live under just sense of condemnation and guilt all the time. And if you're here and you're not a believer or you're not sure where you're at, you say, I don't know where I'm at. I tell you, you're thinking, could Jesus really change me significantly so that I don't, whatever it is, dot, 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 keep losing my temper so that I don't keep, you know, um, clicking on the internet to look at the porn so that, I, so that I don't keep being envious of others and wanting to uh, backstab and gossip. Can G- yes, you can in his house. Next slide. For the death that Jesus died, he died to sin once and for all. First point. You might think, what's that got to do with us? Stay with me here. Jesus, we're told, on the cross died to sin. What does that mean? It means this. It means that on the cross, he put himself under the authority of sin. He put himself under the realm of sin. He put himself completely under it. He totally submitted himself. It's crazy. God in the flesh submitted to sin on the cross. Ruined on the cross. Hang in there. Okay? But then we're told that in his final breath through his death he actually died to that power okay his final cry was a cry of victory it is finished it is finished he came out from the power of sin it's very important next slide and then listen to this do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. This is all about your union with Christ. I love this. This is beautiful, right? So through your baptism, let me just say this, if you're a believer and you're not baptised, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? There is no category biblically for an unbaptised Christian. It doesn't exist. Okay? If it's, oh, I'll become a Christian, then when the time's right, no. The time is right when you become a Christian to get baptised. That is how it works. You must be baptised. Yeah? It's just... It's just, it's not like an optional extra. It's part of your conversion. You get baptised. Okay, so I just said that. Okay, so all of us who have been baptised were baptised into his death. So we see Jesus died to sin on the cross. He died to it. Now, that's a strong word, to die to something. 
Not he was really injured to it. No, he died to sin. The Bible says that you, through your baptism, were buried with him into his death. What is true, what, what, what we're being let into here is this idea that what is true of him, Christian, is true of you. Next slide. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he is, and you're in him. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. This is very, very important. Let not sin reign. Let it not. There's an issue of authority here. If I said to you, can I come around your house and um, take your TV? You're thinking this. You must be thinking, like, what goes on this guy's mind? He wants to throw the thing over there, go down the pub. If I said, can I, can I, I like your TV, I want it. Can I come around and have it? At that point, you have a decision. You can either say, yeah, sure, come on in and take it. Or you can say, no, it's not happening. It's an issue. You, why? It's, your, it's yours. Okay? You have the authority. Do you allow me to come and take it? Yes or no? You choose. Paul is saying here, do not let. Do not let sin reign. In, you think, well, what is this saying? You, you, this is the language of authority. This is the language of, oh, it's an interesting one. It's almost as if I've got the right to say no to sin. Yeah, you're too, too right you have. On what grounds? On the grounds you're joined to Christ. He died to sin and so have you. He beat sin. In him, so have you. He's risen again. In him, so have you. And it gets even more extreme. Are you ready for this one? Next slide, please. When he, that's God, raised him, Jesus, from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, listen, far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Here we're being let in on the exalted state of Jesus Christ, that he is above every rule, every authority, every power, every dominion. Sin is included under those things, not only in this age, but the age to come, so it extends right into the ages, right into future ages. Christ is utterly, utterly exalted. Is everyone agreed on that that's a Christian here today? Are you agreed on that? Are you agreed that that's what this means? That if Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, that he's over every other name. Are you agreed on that? Are you sure? Are you certain? Next slide. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, listen, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So if that's true of him, is it true of you? What's the implication? It's only seven verses on from the, from the other one. It's the same context. What's the implication? Christ is ruling over all. You are in him and you've been raised. It's past tense, guys. Don't do the heaven thing on me. Oh, let's talk about heaven. No, it's past tense. You've been raised up and seated with him. You are now seated in a funny little theatre in North London, but you are also seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's an issue of authority. Do not let sin. You don't have to. And so many believers don't even realise that. They've been under the cost for so long. They think, oh, well, yeah, okay, I've got to go click on the internet again because I'm really, really tempted. No! No! When you're tempted, you can say, no, in Jesus' name, I'm not going to have it. You use your authority in Christ. It works. I just want to say that. It works. 
not just mind over matter, positive thinking, it's spiritual reality. It's the, it's the objective universal reality that God has revealed is the case. You submit to it and you walk in victory. This is <laughs> I'm sensing some, some of you going, hmm, hmm. I'm not sure about this. this is, I'm, just, I'm just preaching Bible, so I feel like I'm really safe ground. <laughs> I'm really safe. I'll give you another one. Next slide. Because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The, Holy, the third person of God, the omnipotent one, lives inside of you. Do you, do you believe that? That should manifest itself in certain ways. Things should happen as a result. And no one's saying, oh, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and then living as if you're not. No, if the Holy Spirit indwells you, man, he's the same one who raised Jesus from the dead. He's the same spirit who empowered Christ's ministry. Is, um, is this my fault? Too many layers. If you told me that half an hour ago, it would have been great. Oh, it's still doing it. I'm not going to take many more layers than this off, I'll tell you that. <laughs> It would really pinch my skin if I clipped it onto, onto the bare chest. Um, so, where were we? You're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We're told, in, we're told that when Jesus became a man, that he voluntarily limited. He was fully God, but voluntarily limited. Didn't use those attributes of deity that were... I would say everything in, the Bible's, everything in the Bible suggests clearly that what Jesus did, he did as a man filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't say things like, you can do what I did and greater things too. That would be unfair. If it was because he did it because he was God, he could, Jesus couldn't say that. Jesus said, no, you can do what I did too. Why? Because he was a man but filled with the Holy Spirit. We're the same. I don't know how comfortable you are with, with what I'm saying here, but I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And we say, well, what about if I mess up then? That's, what about if I do mess up and if I do sin? Next slide. <coughs> if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is this a good gospel or what? <laughs> yeah, keep talking. Just keep talking. Keep the communication with the Lord. You tell him, you keep a short account. I've blown it again. And be honest. That, when you confess, confess. Let me teach you about confessing. When I'm walking along the street and I... And I guys, you relate to me here. Sometimes you've, you know you know which bus posters and which billboards are the dangerous ones. You know, because you've, you know, you've turned in the corner and gone, ah! and then you, it's indelibly in there. So you know now, which are, you know by the, you know, in the, at the corner of your eye, you girls thinking these guys are crazy, we are. But at the, <laughs> you know by the colours, as you, you can see at the corner, by the colours and the design, which one it is. You know. You can pretend you don't and go, oh, I didn't know. Yeah? But you did. <laughs> you did know. Because that's, that's the way guys are. You are wired so vi visually. I'm getting myself in big trouble if none of you are. But it's just me. But <laughs> I, know what, I, know what the bad, I know what the bad ones. So I discipline myself not to. Every now and then I find myself, oh, I wonder what that is. I know what it is. I know.